A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Reddy, but my friends call me Spanners. So let's be friends. It's deep into the summer break. I'm refreshed from a trip down to Cornwall. I hope you're enjoying the summer as well. And it's the summer break, so we don't have to concern ourselves if we don't want to with the championship and championship stakes because we're answering your questions. But if you are interested in some title maths, here we go. If Max Verstappen takes the full 26 points available in the next three events and Perez was to fail to score, then Verstappen will require an eighth place finish in Japan to clinch the title with six events left, tying that record with Michael Schumacher, who in 2001 also secured the title with six races to go. But we can take a break from all of that. Let's kick off by answering your mailbag question. So if everything goes wrong, if the content's rubbish, be rest assured that it's all your fault. Because we're an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. Now, Matt, do rumpets compiled lovingly all your mailbag questions, but he's he's taken a break and he's been replaced with a shiny young Australian. Jono, how's it going? Jonathan Simon. Good. I uh, practiced my American accent. It was pretty bad. So I'll stick to Australian uh, for now. So we'll, yeah. we'll be Jonathan for today and not trumpets. But uh, Verstappen, six races remaining. That's like Michael Schumacher 2002 vibes almost. Yeah, 2001, I think, was the stat I was provided with uh, by Chris Catman-Turner a moment ago. Uh, and and speaking of that, uh, that is the next person to join us is Chris Catman-Turner. Hey, Chris. Yeah, it was 2002. Sorry oh, about that. Oh, sorry. Oh, you, so you, <laughs> our quiz master, threw me under the bus and and fed me an incorrect stat. That's that's how Crofty must feel when uh, Sean Kelly, F1 stat man, throws him a, a curveball banana. 
You should definitely be used to that by now after our live quiz where I didn't even get all the answers right. I think the best part of our quizzes is that A, me and Matt are terrible at them and we don't know the answers, but also as the quiz master, occasionally they're wrong and we get to argue about them. Yeah, exactly. Well, it would be boring if the questions were were right, wouldn't it? Yeah, and and it's never boring when we're joined by our race car driver and tyre tester, Brad Philpott. How's it going, Brad? I am so happy to be on this show because I always listen to these mailbag shows and think I wish I was on that one because yeah. I want to just I want I love answering these questions. So um, thanks for having me on tonight. You're you're more than welcome. Thanks for your time and the listeners. Thanks for your questions because uh, feedback at mistapex.net is where we get the best content ideas and people say stuff and we go oh we've we've never really thought of that. So I'm wondering whether we should start with the the Tour de France race format championship format Let, let's start with that so this is carsten who is messaging us from the netherlands he says keep up the good work a loyal dutch listener and patron thank you for your support patreon.com forward slash apex hi guys i've been an avid listener of your podcast and i love what you're doing i've been an f1 fan since mansell's mustache it's okay so around the same age as me el i was absolutely my first i would say he's the first driver i was a proper fan of and he says, I'm particularly proud uh, that a Dutch driver is doing so well at the moment, says Carsten. I've heard Matt talking about the Tour de France. Yes, he does that a lot. We t- actively tell him not to, but there is no stopping him. Uh, I've heard Matt talking about the Tour de France. Each stage doesn't allocate points, but measures a time difference. How would F1 look with such a system? Each race, the time differences are noted and then added up throughout the season. At the end of the year, the combined time difference makes up the championship would that work okay probably not uh but also lastly he says i feel the constructors championship should be based on the second driver only and that would improve the lineup and stop the two-person teams uh uh, stop the two-person teams focusing on one driver do you have any thoughts um thanks very much for that i i think that is a very interesting idea so the idea is yeah if you win by 10 seconds then you've got a 10 second lead over the second place car if you're third by 40 seconds in the next race, then you've got a net 30 seconds behind overall. Catman, what do you think of the idea? I don't think it would work, but I think it's an interesting way to look at the motivations of the teams. Yeah, it's a very interesting idea. I don't think it would necessarily work. There's a lot of things to work through. And I know that Matt being a, uh, having a penchant for cycling would argue this point very vociferously against me. But it's, I mean, rallying does it. So they, but the problem is that they do it in short stints. So super stages and they do it over an event and you get the yeah. event points. It was not over a whole season because I know that, uh, you know, what would happen if a driver retired from the race, for example, would they lose two hours, that sort of thing? I know that you could have drop points and stuff, but I think Jono is going to do the mat roll and try and fight me. Yeah, go and fight him, Jono. No, 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 definitely not. <laughs> what I was thinking was, what happens if you if you took it one step backwards and went, well, what if we did it over a full race weekend and every practice session now mattered and every qualifying <laughs> session in the race? I don't think that would work either. And I remember talking about this this exact same idea with somebody about like seven, eight years ago. And the problem we had was, what happens if somebody finishes a lap behind? Do you just put a plus one lap and that goes to your championship? So you could be seven minutes ahead in the championship going into the final race but you get a plus one lap and now you're second in the championship because you had a retirement in the final race. Like it's, it's weird. It, I don't know if it would work entirely. A cat man, then Brad. 
Well, they could start the next the grid for the next race like that. So they could say, <laughs> right, Max, you go. And then they all sit on the grid for half a minute and then right, everybody else go. You're pretty you know, much I, qu- I quite like that. Or, uh, yeah, you've got uh, at Silverstone. Yeah, because you've got maybe like when Latifi was in, he would be starting down a club and Vale. Or maybe, well, maybe even at Stowe, and you've got Verstappen Brighton. starting on pole. <laughs> yeah, yeah you've, you've got to start in Kettering, unfortunately. If you survive, then uh, then you get to participate in the rest of the race. Brad? The locals call it Kettering, uh, by the way. So this is, I love that the listeners send in questions, and they're always interesting, but this is clearly preposterous. Um, <laughs> and is almost the opposite to Bernie Eccleston's idea from a few years ago, and I, I believe it was Bernie, where the championship wasn't going to be decided on points. It was just on number of wins. So you could win twice. And if nobody else won twice, um, even if they had loads more points than you, then you would win the championship. Um, We wanted to put more emphasis on doing the winning. This sounds like basically the opposite. It doesn't really matter where you finish. And it's just not, not finishing. This would all be about reliability. So, uh, and doing maths at each race. So I I think it's a, a silly idea interesting to to consider it no because then whoever was in the lead even if they qualified fifth that day you paint their entire car yellow so you know that they're the the championship leader so you're right i don't think it will work but the the question everyone's kind of trying to answer and the reason why these kind of suggestions keep coming up this season is because there's a question of motivation at the front so does does Verstappen need to push? And this is the big thing I've been saying when people get upset at me, saying you're not praising Verstappen enough. Yes, because we literally have no idea how well he's doing. You know, he's, he's in a very dominant car with a teammate that's at sea with that setup or with that style of, of driving that he needs to do for the car. So he could he could do in every race, he could be half a second a lap faster or half a second a lap slower. And he'd probably still win the race. So they say, well, why didn't you praise Verstappen? Because I don't know how well he did. And then at the other end of the grid, you have to wonder, is there really a motivation for Sauber and Alfa Romeo to gain one place? And that, that's the problem, Jono, is that you know we don't know how hard teams are pushing. It could be that you've got 20 cars out there and there's only 10 that are flat out. Yeah, and that is a problem. And it's a problem we've had in Formula One the last, you know, however many X number of years. Oh, yeah, it's not new. I think the solution is is what we're doing now in terms of the cost cap and bringing people together. And people naturally just need to push. We don't have to change the format as it is and the way we determine a world champion by, by time difference and all this kind of stuff. So right now, it's it's I think what we're in the direction we're going is pretty good. It's not the end of the world to think of ideas like this. And and it's not the first time somebody's thought of this. Uh, what Brad was talking about before, for some context, was this medal format. It was kind of like the Olympics where, uh, you know, you win gold, you have like seven race wins. Oh, but what happens if you both have seven? Well, it's based on your silvers now. How many second places do you have? And it was as like 2008, 2009, that they were like Bernie Eccleston was thinking of of putting that in. So we've thought about this before. I've never thought about this for the drivers' championship. That, that Carsten's idea here. I've thought about this in the past for the constructors' championship mm. because let's be honest, and this will this will sort of segue into Carsten's second question. Who cares about the constructors' championship? Nobody's cared about that for, for twenty while. years. Yeah, and this time difference measure, I think, is only good enough to do for the constructors if we were going to implement an idea like this, Chris. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. And actually, I did look into Carson's suggestion with the 22 and 21 championships as if it was just the second driver, how would that have affected it? So 
the problem with the point system we have at the moment is that it's very heavily top weighted. So if you have two diversely performing, shall we say, drivers mm. at the back end, one of them scores points, one doesn't. So there's a much bigger uh, kind of gap. So in 2022, the only team, so actually there was a big shift with Alfa Romeo, who finished actually finished sixth in the championship, but on their second driver, because it was Joe only scored six points to Bottas's 49, oh, they would have actually have come ninth in the championship. So it would make a big sway <laughs> at the back. Um, but every year I looked at the front four, five teams were all normal. They were, it was right. all as it was. So it, it, okay. it mainly affects the bottom positions, which is interesting because it would mean we'd have to look at it a bit more. Yeah, that that is interesting because I I think like teams have openly said now, no, we are favouring one, one uh, the drivers' championship over the constructors, which I suspected for a long time anyway. Plus, with the cost cap, you know, if you're going to have upgrades throughout the season uh, and you can prioritise one driver, I think you're almost stupid not to. Why not focus? I mean, I know the manufacturing element itself actually isn't the highest cost; it's the design and the time to design stuff. But if you get a chance to prioritise one driver. You should, under the current system. There's no real incentive to, to do otherwise. Yeah, and to add to that, if you, if you did that, the whole definition of the Constructors' Championship is it's based on, on the best car and the best team and constructor. So now if you're trying to get them to, to hire a better second driver, does that defeat the purpose now if you have a bad second driver that a team could have one of, the, like a, a car like Catman just said, that's sixth best, now it's ranked ninth best because you have a bad driver. And it's not a driver, it's not a second driver's championship. It's a constructor's championship. So that's also the rebuttal there is why would you hold a driver's championship for your number ones? And now the constructor's championship is now just some form of number two driver's no. championship. There's no point. But it is just, I think the question is highlighting the fact that you, you know, Red Bull run a second car because you're supposed to. And that's the thing that he's kind of trying to get rid of a little bit. So just to kind of round off on this uh, Tour de France style question, what would you do if you had a DNF? Well, you can have some drop rounds. And they used to have drop rounds in the olden days. But I was thinking about a system we deploy when we're playing adventure golf on your local crazy golf course. And there was, there's always that one hole where somebody just has an absolute nightmare blow up and they're trying to like attack a windmill with a plastic golf club where we just go, let's just call that, let's call it 10, you know, and that stops the tears and we all move on to the next obstacle. Come on, it's okay. Let's hit it through the clown's mouth now. Let's call it 10. So we could say, if we're going to do this idea for you, Carsten, and if you DNF, we will just call that 70 seconds. The most you can be behind is 70 seconds. Well, they did used to do something aggregate for qualifying back in the day. I remember Damon Hill and Schumacher, like, was it 94 era? They used to have two qualifying sessions and it used to be the sum of both of your laps is your pole time. So, but I I don't think that really worked because most people couldn't remember the first (laughs) session. Uh, It's it's complicated. Look, we we at the moment, like I couldn't remember what was going on on a sprint weekend. And, you know, I had a, a member of the panel around and my son who all watch it and didn't realize that the qualifying they'd just seen on a Saturday didn't then apply to the grid on Sunday. So we're not about to start aggregating race times. Good suggestion. (laughs) Uh, I'm sorry, no, but I think we'll have to move on. And coincidentally, we had a really similar uh, suggestion from Keys from the Netherlands. And I just want to read out this. First of all, 
Thank you for providing us with amazing content. Thank you very much, Keys. I'm not very good at acknowledging when we get really lovely feedback like that because it kind of feels odd and I never quite feel like we deserve it. But whenever I read it, I promise you, it makes a difference. I love knowing what you think about the show. Feedback at mistapex.net. I'm just not always going to read it out. Uh, And to Spanners, thank you for the way you have been handling your attitude towards Max lately. You'll probably get a lot of strongly worded emails from Dutch people. Yes, correct. But as a Dutch Max fan, I wanted to say that you have been smashing it lately. Thank you very much. And and pretty much makes a very similar suggestion about the Tour de France, except adding in special stages. So you might have Monaco that's worth less and then people might not turn up. But that is a, a whole episode's discussion, I think. The cost cap came up in a question from Rob Asher. And Rob says, it's a, this is a you are the ref question, or rather you are the FIA. How do you punish budget cap breaches in future, given how well Red Bull are doing this year? Whether they, whether they deserve to be winning in 2023 or not, the optics are not good. What should you do next time? And we are coming up to cost cap season. My understanding is that from September onwards, any time the cost cap would drop, there are a few teams where the FIA have gone in and opened all the drawers And I think the rumours are it's Aston Martin, Mercedes and Red Bull have had deeper investigation. So it's going to be hilarious either way. Either Red Bull have done it again and broken the cost cap, in which case everything is going to to hit the fan from all ends. Or I think even the most funny would be if Mercedes are the ones that broke the cost cap. And then what are the the Mercedes and Hamilton fanboys like me going to do? Are we going to stick to our principles or are we going to flip-flop? Because i tell you what, Brad, if it turns out Mercedes have broken the cost cap, I'm going to flip-flop and be saying things like, oh, it's only a minor breach. No, no one cares. It was only Volavons. So there's a couple of ways you can look at this, obviously. And one is to say, well, last time Red Bull got a slap on the wrist because it was a first offence and we were feeling out the regulations and, you know, it was easy to get things wrong. They... they the tax was incorrectly allocated or whatever. And you could say, but now we're going to take it seriously because you've all had a chance to see what, you know, that we're going to be strict on this. But then you could also argue it from the opposite position, which is, well, hang on. Why did that one team, uh, why did they get a first offense that was lenient? And if my team breaks the cost cap rules, we suddenly get um, a, a stronger punishment. And I can see both sides of that. Um, I can totally see teams watching Red Bull overspend for whatever reason. And again, we've gone over this ad infinitum in regards to catering budget or whatever the money was spent on. It's all part of a pool of money that you're allowed to spend. And it doesn't really matter what you say put you over the edge. You've gone over the edge. Um, I can see other teams saying, you know what? Let's just go for it. Because um, Red Bull, that first offense that they've done, if they got an advantage from that, that's a bigger advantage than someone doing it this year because they got that advantage baked in for the full rule set. So it's easy to argue that actually doing it in the first year is you get a bigger benefit, so you should get a bigger penalty. Um, But yeah, that's that's my initial response. I've got plenty more to add, but I'll (laughs) let other people talk. Yeah, and also like let's focus in on on the the question because we've definitely argued amongst ourselves on this, Jono. But, you know, the question is, Mm -hmm. well, you're the FIA, Jono. Not knowing who it is that has potentially breached it, what would you do now for for teams that now breach the cost cap? And and no one is going to breach it by seven million 
or whatever it was. So it's always going to be a, a quote, mm-hmm. minor breach. To keep it ambiguous or broad, punish heavily is what I would do. And the reason is because momentum is such a big thing when it comes to car development and team development. Look at Mercedes going into the turbo hybrid era in 2014. They started that years ahead, had the momentum, and it was tough to catch them up. It took them about seven years for somebody to win a championship. Now, in this situation, if Red Bull have breached the cost cap in 2021 and they are allowed to be punished by a very small amount, they almost benefit more from the momentum they've carried yeah. from that year to winning that year, to winning the next year, to winning this year, to potentially winning again in 2024. And the momentum they've gained by breaching the cost cap needs to be punished more. And I'm not saying, I know they did, I know what you're saying, Spanners, whether it's minor or major, it doesn't matter. But again, if you're going to, and going back to the original question, I don't know what needs to happen and I don't know what it needs to be, whether it's a points restriction, whether it's stripping of prize money, whether it's something along those lines, something that will affect the card development. And they've done that to Red Bull. You know, it's our best example because they're the team that's been pinged heaviest of this in in the last couple of years. But um, it would have to be something that would uh, drastically affect their car in the future and something that would affect their performance, which the wind tunnel time is the best example. They're losing that for, for this year. Chris. Yeah, and the the that's a very good point. You know, I think it's it's all about how you affect future performance and make it a lasting penalty and an immediate penalty because the the issue is that you've got that hangover where they've got the benefit of that and that's very tricky. Uh, Jono, then Brad. Yes, and just one more thing to follow up on what Chris said is it's like look look at US sports. And and I'm a big NBA fan, and, and I know a lot of people don't watch basketball, so I'll explain this as, as best I can. They will sometimes take away draft picks for young talent away from teams who breach rules. And that drastically affects teams, you know, whether they lose a first-round pick, a second-round pick, we won't go into that. But that's what needs to happen in F1, and that can affect the future <laughs> of a team. I can name you teams 20 years ago in the NBA who've lost a full decade of success through bad management, breaking the rules, losing draft picks. And that's what needs to be punished for Formula One. Because as far as I can see, the budget cap is working. It's bringing the grid closer together. And if you're going to breach it, if you're going to push the rules and not get punished enough, you're going to be the team who's going to dominate the sport, as we're seeing with Red Bull now. And it's it's defeats the purpose of having a cost cap in the first place. I think we're really pussyfooting around this too much. I think, and I'm not going to flip-flop. If a team, <laughs> whether it's a team that I prefer over other teams has breached or not it needs to be points deductions this whole um kind of in the future will punish your development that kind of punishment isn't a real punishment you've already got the ill-gotten gains now i said this last year i said this uh, i'm saying this right now as well you have to deduct points you have to exclude from the championship it's the only thing that the teams will care about because if you know that's a risk for whether it's a minor or a major breach even if it's minor, you should have built more margin in and you've got every opportunity to speak to the governing body if you're not sure about yeah. whether a thing is allowed or not. So it should be black and white. You overspend, you get a set points deduction for how much you've overspent or a championship disqualification. Yeah, well, this is it. Look, Brad D in the live chat is saying, a breach is such a nice PR approved word. And if I want to put were you know words into brad d's uh, mouth there it, we, we, you know, it's cheating isn't it it's cheating it's it's financial doping <laughs> if you were uh, breaching 
a a a technical regulation and you were caught that would that would be you know cheating if you had a bendy wing and and look look we're not we're not clutching at pearls here catman we know that teams will push the envelope but the the crime is getting caught isn't it and like if you breach the cost cap you've breached it on purpose or you're really bad at counting well, you're really bad at countering the number of olivons. Mm. No, it's definitely got to have teeth. And I, I think the issue is going to be trying to apply that. I mean, nobody cares about last year now. We're yeah. 10 months after the end of the season. It's in the rule. It's, it's in the yearbooks. No one cares. And nobody wants to win a championship because the other guy spent five quid more on sandwiches. But you have always have to say, okay, okay, let, let's look at Red Bull 2021. Okay, so... We all we all have emotions about 2021. So if you spent four hundred thousand pounds over, was that what it was that Red Bull breached it by? And that, you know, I've bored people to death with this. Mercedes stayed under it. They didn't stay under it by a penny. You know, they would have made sure they stayed under it. So we're talking, you know, clo- the best part of of half a million pounds. Like, tell me that didn't make a difference in in 2021. So you should lose points for that that season. And if um, if Mercedes or Red Bull breached in 2022 i agree with you brad they should lose points for that season but you also need to lose points for the season that you're benefiting as well so i mean really teams should be looking at this cost cap and if it's x they need to be x minus half a million because they should be so scared of going even a you know a penny over it and it needs to be disgraced more in the media. And and look, we've done our job with what Red Bull did in 2021. <laughs> you know, I could tell you that much. But that's also part of it too. Because if you've gone, oh, they've only exceeded by four quid for an extra sandwich. They've exceeded by four quid. That's a disgrace <laughs> to the sport. That is putting the sport into disrepute. I remember when, I'm not going to go into it. I was going to come up with an example that was yeah. going to get me in some trouble. But there was this... Stuff in the past that has put the sport into disrepute. And I go, but for some reason, breaching the cost cap has not put the sport into disrepute. That should be, I'm pretty sure Formula One, I'm not Ooh. sure if it still exists, but I remember 15 years ago, there used to be specific rules and the stewards and, and the FIA would say, you have put the sport into disrepute. What happened to that? Whatever <laughs> happened to that? I want to know if that I still reckon, exists. I, re- I reckon Mercedes have gone over. I reckon they got to 2022 and they just went, you know what? Sod it. We've got a bad car anyway. You can't do anything worse to us. Uh, we, we've, we've seen that there was a slap on the wrist in 2021. I wouldn't be surprised at all if they went in a, a bit laissez-faire. And we have had a comment here, probably from people who know more about accounting than us. So um, uh, Maria saying accounting and accounting rules can have a lot of interpretation in them. And if the cost cap rules do ha- have so many holes that you could drive a bus through them, then that's the fault of, of the, S- F- F- the FIA. It should be clearer and if there are giant holes in it then you need to you know fill those holes because we did have a question say from gabe who says how in the world does the cost cap actually work and the short answer is none of us know and yeah and sorry spanners i was desperate to to add to this maria brings up a great point that is gonna um support my next amazing point right now which is if if accounting has different sets of interpretations then so does of rear wing size. And <laughs> yeah. if you're one millimeter over and the stewards after the race go, well, you're one millimeter over, you're disqualified. And that's what should happen with a cost cap. It shouldn't even be points deductions. I want to take Brad's thing to the next level. It should be a full disqualification from the championship. You know, because, um, and here's the funny thing I thought of, what happens if you had $3 billion and went, I'm just going to design a car that's going to win every race and I'm going to win that championship. 
and uh, I'm only going to get a points deduction, but I'm still going to win the championship by 400 points. Obviously, in that situation, you you heavily disqualify a team from a championship. But um, if it's a minor deduction, it's a minor. Uh, sorry, if it's a minor breach, it's a minor breach. Same way a rear wing's a millimeter over disqualification. Absolutely, I think it was point nine millimeters, wasn't it? Anyway, uh, point, so, I it was point two for Hamilton in Brazil twenty one. Uh, there you go. Um, but yeah, so I was just having a read, and it's actually five percent of if you exceed by five percent of the budget of one hundred forty five million, that's a disqualification level event. Um, so, so there is some amount of minor and major but as you say i don't yeah, think no yeah, these guys can, can design a car which can do so many amazing things and the drivers can you know go within millimeters of walls they could certainly <laughs> get a good accountant that could count within pounds i, I would a, think so and paddy's paddy's comment in the live chat chat is uh, how does it actually work it does not and let's be honest the cost cap is a little bit of a mess and i know red bull are the focus of it but let's not forget that the reason the cost cap probably came in in the first place was because Mercedes came in with an unprecedented financial and staffing advantage. So other teams were in the region of one to 400. Mercedes came in with over a thousand staff and they came in as a fully fledged engineering firm focused on aerodynamic and car development. So they dominated the sport from 2016 to uh, till 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 2020 using that financial leverage being able to pour money into the engine and hitting the ground running in an engine formula and i don't remember any time in f1 where the engine has been so important and they came in with a huge advantage and a lot of that is down to their financial and engineering clout and that set in motion a period of domination that if you weren't a lewis hamilton or mercedes fan was particularly grating and something had to be done. Something needed to be done. I'm all for domination in a sport and I'm a Hamilton fan, so I enjoyed it. But when you get five, six, seven years down the line and no other team has a sniff, you can kind of understand why people wanted to bring a cost cap in to kind of bring an end to that. And I I will stick to my guns that regulations were actively pointed against Mercedes to try and, and bring them back. And you've got to do that at some point because it was it was it was heading into a cul-de-sac but the cost cap regulations as they are 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 a little bit of a mess they're far too fuzzy they did the job already they we nerfed mercedes and now what it's actually doing is stopping any team catching red bull so what we've done is we've we've done what australia did you know they were overrun with kangaroos so they brought in lions and now everywhere you go in australia there's just lions everywhere (laughs) and they're talking about bringing in polar bears to eat the lions and what are we going to do what polar bear are we going to bring in to defeat now the problems this cost cap is causing the the problem is unfortunately is that they've done exactly the opposite i think it was this week or last week williams wanted to spend more of their capital expenditure budget on upgrading their facilities because James Vowles went there from Mercedes and went, this is like working out of a shed. So they decided to, they said, well, could we maybe get a wind tunnel or CFD or something rather than just drawing it on post-it notes? Um, <laughs> but they took it to the rest of the team. On chalk, and... they've just got a sand pit and they've got a stick and they're, they're yeah. just doing their aero on the sand pit. Making it out of Play-Doh models. But um, 
the, the problem was is the other teams went, well, if, if they get a better wind tunnel, then, then I want a better wind tunnel and I want this and I want that. <laughs> so then eventually it all just spiraled and they said, no, no one's getting anything. So now it's baked in so that Mercedes have their amazing facilities. Red Bull have their amazing facilities and everybody else has to stay in their box. So it's going to stay like this for a long time as far as mm. I'm concerned. I've got a feeling that the cost cap, they already, I bet privately, they're already saying, yeah, cost cap's not a great idea. But you can't just go, right, bin it. There will be a, a face-saving period and a, and a phasing out and a backing away. Okay, driver question. I'm going to throw this one straight out to Brad. Wade Crawford says, really looking forward to the mailbag. I've enjoyed the show for a long time. Thank you, Wade. I wanted to pitch a question this time around. It's a question I've kicked around and I'm struggling to come up with a good answer. Well, well don't worry, Wade. I've, I've got Brad queued up for you. Hypothetically, let's say Lewis calls it quits tomorrow. <gasps> Who gets a shot in that potentially championship winning seat? Brad, who do you put into that? That, that 44 car. So I think Mercedes are not a team that that goes for a, a number one driver and then deliberately goes for a number two driver. Yeah, I think you're right. Bottas um, ended up that way. Rosberg certainly wasn't treated as a number two, even though ultimately on balance he came out second over the years. He was against Hamilton. And Russell, again, isn't treated like a number two. So I think Mercedes value this um you know having two bullets in the chamber um and so i think they would go for someone strong and my immediate response is someone who is clearly not super happy where they are probably doesn't have a real prospect of ever winning the championship where they are and that's charles leclerc um so i i would i think he's the right kind of character to go to mercedes and I think he would do well in that environment. So that's my first submission. Well, I was going to say, just, just to push back slightly, I mean, we could say who would who do we think we, we should get it, you know, no rules, or do we who do we realistically think would, would get it? I don't think it's confirmed, but the rumours are that Leclerc has signed a new multi-year deal. Yeah, but I don't, I don't care. I still think he's a realistic <laughs> prospect because, well, I mean, I, I could be completely wrong, obviously, but he's the one that has seemed... Mm. unhappy where he is. And if he has yeah. signed a new multi-year deal, maybe that's just because there was no immediate yeah. prospect of, of going somewhere any better. But as you're in this hypothetical situation, we're saying that there is a space. And I think in that hypothetical situation, he okay. wouldn't then sign the deal. All right, then. Uh, so Leclerc goes to Mercedes. Does he... And I, I think that there's a better chance of Mercedes ever having a title shot than, than Ferrari because Ferrari will just find a way. They, they might start strong, they might flatter to deceive, but Ferrari's probably never winning a driver title ever again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, email me, feedback at mistakefx.net. Mercedes <laughs> might well win another driver title. Uh, so how does, how does he do against Russell then, Brad? I, I, this is really interesting mm. because obviously Russell's been strong against Hamilton, but less so this year. So I don't think you can see, say anything conclusively from that other than it's finely balanced and whether or not a particular car or situation is suiting you um, at this current time, when you've got two very, very good drivers, that is enough to tip the balance. I think Leclerc, I mean, this is this is completely just, I'm putting oh, this yeah, out we'll thin air, but this it. is just my opinion. I think Leclerc is probably a more naturally gifted driver than Russell. And I think the turbulent nature of Ferrari contributes to 
some of his inconsistency in terms of performance and mistakes and that kind of thing. And I think being at a team which is generally like a kind of stable ship um, like Mercedes might iron out some of those things that we see as erratic from Leclerc. And I think that would then allow his natural gift to shine through. And and the kind of only reason I'm saying this about Leclerc is I think Russell is really good, by the way. So this is this yeah. is not a slight on Russell. I think Russell is a driver who has got to where he is in terms of his ability through determination, hard work, Agreed. really looking into it and improving himself. Whereas I think it maybe comes slightly more naturally to Leclerc. And this comes from talking to people that I know who knew Russell during his karting time, who have said to me, oh, you right. know, Russell's clearly brilliant, but he didn't set the world alight in his junior days until he got into a single seater you know, in good teams and then clearly did the job. Um, and I think, and I'm going to have to go and look at this, but I think if you look back at Leclerc's like junior, junior career, karting time, it was a bit more glittering than Russell's. So that's all I'm oh, basing okay. on. Okay, hang on. And I know uh, the others are dying to get in, but uh, when you talk about you know Russell's progressive approach and putting the work in uh, you know recently he's been the one complaining about sprint weekends and park ferme after fp1 and you kind of think maybe russell is the kind of driver who would want those three full practice sessions where you whereas you think verstappen hamilton alonso they would be happy to go now nah, we'll just do qualifying straight off the bat and let's just see you know who, who gets it immediately whereas whereas russell would might not want that and and hard work is a superpower well, goodness knows it's all I've got in my career. So, you know, I'd, I'd rather have a work ethic than, than talent most, most of the time. Uh, but, but Jono, if we stay on Leclerc for just a, you know, a second, that would be a juicy prospect. That would definitely be one of the top lineups. It would. And, and that's a very good point that, that Brad's brought up. I've never thought about that, that Ferrari have contributed to his inconsistency, yeah. which sort of nails the point and hammers home what I've been thinking of Leclerc in, in especially last year was that I think he had a car that was potentially the best car on the grid when it came to one lap and two laps and, and short-term runs. And I think for Charles Leclerc, it was more, well, he's had to push a car to the limit under pressure at Ferrari, potentially with Ferrari's best car that they produced in 10, 15 years almost. And he ended up making mistakes. We saw the mistake at France. We saw uh, other mistakes in other races too. And I think that also contributed to Leclerc. And there is a something I like to call the FF. It's not forfeit. Uh-oh, uh-oh. It's not uh-oh. fast forward. It's called Ferrari fatigue. Or it's not what you were just thinking of, Spanners. Yeah. I can Phew. tell you that much. <laughs> but it was... Um, and I think he's got a little bit of fatigue now at that team after four years. And that's happened to drivers we've seen at Ferrari uh, Catman over the last few years, which is we've got, you know, Alonso's had the Ferrari fatigue, Vettel. And now it's happening to Charles Leclerc. Absolutely. That was exactly what I was going to say is that Vettel and Alonso, two proven champions, best in the field at their time, were completely obliterated by the pressure at Ferrari. Mm. And is that from the Tifosi and the media constantly expecting results when it's not realistic? Is that from yeah the, the drivers themselves just putting too much pressure on themselves? Or, or what is it? Because that oh. that Ferrari atmosphere just drains the results out of what should be race-winning packages and title-winning packages. Mm. So, okay, so we, we're happy to put Leclerc into that Mercedes seat, and we think he would do well against uh, George Russell. So poor old George Russell hasn't done very well out of this conversation. I know he's at home, he's watching on YouTube, and he's, <laughs> oh, those turnips, I would beat Leclerc. He's just- a trained 
Oh, oh, sorry, Brad, quickly. Leclerc or George Russell is strikes me as a trained product, whereas if you look at like yeah. Leclerc, he strikes me mm. more of a, of a natural talent. Okay. So that's why there, there can be <laughs> you can kick up a, a stink about George. And also, nobody's spoken about Mick Schumacher. Why doesn't George get Lewis's seat and Mick Schumacher gets George's seat? Okay, okay. Well, who wants to respond to that madness? Uh, Brad? Yeah, I can respond to that um, <laughs> just before I do. I have now looked up both of their karting careers um, just because I ah, wanted to know okay. for sure. And uh, yeah, George clearly has a very good karting career because you'd expect him to, but it's mainly British-based. And in the European world level, where Leclerc was winning championships, Russell finished kind of reasonably well, but in his final year in karting was 29th in the world. Um, by comparison, Leclerc was second. So oh. that's the comparison. Um, yeah, Mick Schumacher wouldn't get the seat because I don't think he's good enough um yeah where's the evidence I, that he would do well in a top team yeah i think mick is you know i think he's good because he's you know formula two champion in the past you can't be bad but i just don't think he's george russell charles leclerc top line formula mm. one driver good so schumacher was formula two champion after a pretty average first half of the season and then just obliterated yeah, the field in the second that. half now was that because he was, like Brad was saying, he's one of these drivers who has to apply himself and isn't naturally out of the box, really like go fast talent. Or is he uh, one of those yeah, who has to really study and put the effort in to get there? And, and I think that's it. But the, the problem is you, with somebody of that ilk in a top team, you're expecting the fight for championship. You can't yeah. have the first half of the year or the first couple of years of your career in that team being bad there's one driver we haven't mentioned who would sit in this seat very well and actually either ferrari or mercedes should lap them up if hamilton or leclerc or science leaves that's daniel ricardo what yes right he has proven no everyone no one likes this here we go he has um recent experience of the red bull camp with their simulator and with all of their uh experience and secrets <laughs> okay. that he can bring with them he's rejuvenated as a driver he's going to smash sonoda um that's our next and... question that's the next question coming up <laughs> <laughs> okay look look um we, we you've mentioned two drivers there. i disagree with both of them so you you don't you don't get into one of the top three teams by by being bang average and not beating your, your teammates. You don't get into Mercedes by coming in, finishing second in the Haas, and only really bothering the scorers when you're distributing carbon fibre around the track. And and Schumacher really was, you know, like a... He was a bit of a one-man safety car magnet. And so as good as he might have been, he didn't show it. So the best-case scenario for a driver who's had a bad rookie season and doesn't get his seat renewed would be to come in at the back of the grid, maybe be able to to pay his way into a a buy-in seat and and have another go. No way Schumacher has done enough to get into one of the top three teams. Uh, And so the the next sort of tier behind that is your kind of your Alpine and your your McLaren seats or your Aston Martin seats. You know, would he have done enough to get into those? Not even. So he's, he's out of the picture completely for me. Now, Ricardo, that is an interesting one because Ricardo has proved himself enough that I think any team below that top three, if there was a seat available, would go and pay him a, a fee because he comes with so much charisma, PR stuff. You know he can do a job, he's going to be fine. But does anyone really think that Ricardo now goes into that Mercedes seat, 
establishes himself as the number one and then takes the fight to to Max Verstappen. Jono? The way I see this question from Wade is more Lewis calls it quits. George takes Lewis's seat. Who gets the second seat? That's the way yeah, I've been. Yeah, but Mercedes been, don't do exactly. that. Exactly. Oh, okay. So you're both That's... looking at this, Catman, as a, oh, okay. So Ricardo's going to be an out and out number two and be happy with it. I wouldn't say I don't be happy with it, it, but it would be useful. The Mercedes have, have for years, but we are, when he joined Williams, even before then, saying that George is the next big thing he's the lewis replacement so they've already got lewis's replacement in the (laughs) in the stable what they need is somebody who can do the marketing because let's face it george is a bit a bit bland on that front all right okay so if i'm a mercedes fan though forget forget the personality side of it when you look at the race pace there's something happening which is that george russell is just not on hamilton's level on race pace on pirelli tires it's just it's not there so I, I think if they don't get someone who could potentially be a number one, at the moment, Mercedes are going to be leaving an awful lot on the table on a on a Sunday. I, I'm surprised no one has mentioned, I think this will make this the last one before we move on, uh, Lando Norris as a, a potential replacement. Brad, you've always been a, a big Lando Norris advo- advocate. Yeah, I think he's good enough to go there. I just don't think he would go there. Oh. I, I'm not saying he'd say no. I just haven't seen him... I haven't ever seen Lando linked to Mercedes or showing no. an interest in the Mercedes family, uh, if that makes sense. I think Lando's more likely to to go and build a team around him at Audi. But again, pure conjecture. Um, I just haven't ever, I haven't really ever heard Lando mentioned in the same breath as Mercedes. This is something we've never seen. Is I think George Russell, Lando Norris, um, Alex Albon. I'm probably forgetting a few other drivers. This whole friendship group of young drivers yeah. coming in, no one's ever competed against the other. That would be interesting to see. What would that do to the relationship? Would it bring up a yeah. Lewis Nico 2016 relationship? Do you know what? I've, I've never said this before, I don't think, on the podcast, but it really annoys me how good friends... Is it that's, that's that group before, isn't it? Like Lando Norris, George Russell, Alex Albon, uh, who else is part of the that Rat Pack? You know, Verstappen, you know, they, they all just seem yeah. to get on like really well. And a lot of the time it's like watching, I don't know, like a stag do or a school trip. And it, it irritates me how well they get on. So I, I'm with you, Jono. Let's pit them all against each other. Let's create some feud because, um, yeah, obviously it's probably nice and emotionally healthy that they all get on. But it's not it's not like the olden days, is it, Catman? It's not like that none of them are throwing helmets at each other. Bring back Maldonado, bit of drama, bit of excitement. <laughs> uh, okay, then let's uh, let's move on from from that. These have been some great questions, and we always love getting your feedback. Uh, we put them into a special folder in our email tray. So even if you were to email me a, a question tomorrow, we would still put that in and consider it for the next mailbag question. All right, let's look through our mailbag and see who's coming up next. Okay, uh, this is a, probably a good one for for Brad as well from Corey uh, Shender. I'm a new American F1 fan. That's okay, Corey. We like American fans and we like new fans too. Still learning about the different qualities that drivers can bring. How much do teams consider driving styles when signing a new driver? For example, it's been mentioned many times that Red Bull's developing in Max's favour and that maybe that's to the detriment of Perez. So shouldn't Red Bull want their second driver to have a similar driving style to Max so that their development throughout the season is more a benefit to both drivers. I know, Brad, you've covered you know a, a, a bit of this before, but is it is it a bit of a myth that you know that cars 
can suit a certain driver style or be developed towards a certain driver? I don't think it's a myth. I think it's overblown. And you're right. We've covered this before. I'll try not to to be no, okay. too in-depth or boring. But when you think about a Formula One car uh, or a Formula One team, both cars in the team are supposedly identical within reason. Setup can be adjusted, but there you can't deviate too far from the ideal because you'll just be slower. So there is a theoretical best setup for every car. And all Formula One cars are built to relatively strict regulation sets, and they're all they're all going to require a pretty similar style to get the best out of them. And when you're talking about driving style between different racing categories, you know, between GT cars yeah. and Formula One cars um, or rally or whatever, yes, there's there's wildly varying styles. And then the more you get into a specialist type of series, like Formula One is obviously extremely specialist. Um, there's a particular style which is going to work best to get the most out of those cars. If you'd zoom into an even more granular level, yes, there are going to be slight differences in in driver preferences, I'd say. It might be a better way of saying it rather than style. And I don't think teams care too much about them as long as the driver can extract the performance and be fast enough. And I think by the time you find those really small differences between drivers, they're already in the team and they've spent a long time. And obviously there's things you can see in simulation if they spend a long time in the simulator before they get chosen. Um, But I definitely think driving style where we say, I don't know, Alonso really likes loads of understeer and Hamilton loves loads of oversteer or whatever. I think that's definitely overblown. And I think generally if you gave them uh, a car which was capable of being fast within reason they're going to do a very similar thing. And I've said this loads of times. I think you'd probably struggle if you painted all the cars the same color and mm. they were all the same shape and you just watched each driver on board. I think you'd really, really struggle to notice any tangible difference to the way they're making inputs or uh, unless you're looking at data and literally overlaying the data and zooming in and seeing exactly how much brake pressure a certain driver was using at a different phase of a corner. But yeah, hopefully that answers that in some way. Well, I have a follow-up to that, Brad, which is you look at Red Bull and and I don't think any driver that they could hire has a similar driving style to Max Verstappen because what I've noticed is these drivers who are next-level generational talents, they all seem to like a car, and excuse me if I'm wrong, Brad, and this is why I'm asking you, they all seem to like a car that is extremely oversteery and the rear end drives like a go-kart. And when these drivers come in, like Alex Albon, Pierre Gasly, Sergio Perez, they can't drive a car like that that suits Max Verstappen. That Lewis Hamilton back in, even in 07, Lewis Hamilton was driving cars like that. I always compare Lewis's and Max's early career driving styles to be similar. So if Red Bull, for example, in, in this question from Corey, they, they're not considering a driving style similar to Max at all in terms of what their car development is. And I think that's because that's not so much a driving style as a driving ability. Um, Max is just able Aww. to cope with the car <laughs> in a in a guise in which it is capable to extract more lap time. Um, that, that's not not to say anything um, derogatory about the 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 driving skills of those other drivers, but Max is clearly operating on a higher level. I, I maybe it's just the way I'm referring to this, and maybe this is semantics, but I wouldn't consider that that Perez's style is different or Albon's style is different so much as. Max is just able to drive a car which is in a faster state and that involves that particular car 
operating with a little bit more oversteer because because the way you describe it is max likes loads of oversteer he definitely doesn't like no one what oversteer is a handling imbalance <laughs> and it's a negative yeah. he just likes a tiny bit more than those other drivers we're talking about and when we discuss it loads it makes it sound like he likes it really oversteery and they like it completely opposite it's really like small fractions that they're sensing but we probably yeah. wouldn't see from the outside which is what I'm trying to say, Brad, is what is stable for Max is extreme oversteer for anybody else in a sense. You know what I mean? That That's what I'm trying to say here. One of the biggest red flags I've personally seen with a driver who I think has no talent is when they go, how are you half a second quicker than me? I can't drive your setup. What What's going on there? And I go, <laughs> well, that's probably because you're not good. You know, that's, that's generally the, the outlay I, I come out with with something like that. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. At Catman. I was going to say, it's really easy to be smooth when you're slow. Like I'm much smoother <laughs> than Brad, I'm sure. Well, I'm not, but. Yeah. I keep getting that. The champ or the former champion, Danny Henney, in our iRacing series, go and, go and check us out on Mr. Apex Motorsport. Yeah, you've got a really smooth style. I'm like, yeah, because I'm kind of, I'm being pretty careful. I'm a 42-year-old dad. But yeah, we're in the same zone, Chris. Well, that's it. But also don't forget, we we got to. If you're talking about this, you have to mention the 2009 world champion Jensen Button because we have to remind you that, first of all, that he won the 2009 mm. championship and that he won in he Canada. He won in Canada. Did, did you he know did. he won in Canada in the he rain? Did. Yeah. Do you know what? Mm. Um, but yeah, so he was renowned for having a very smooth driving style that was able to extract the best out of the car. But the problem was is that I don't think on his day he, he could beat the likes of Hamilton, Verstappen, you know, in terms of pure pace over a season, maybe, you know, with consistency. But I, I, the smoothness thing, I think, as Brad said, is well over-egged. On, on that particular example, so I've heard, you know, I've watched Formula One for my all my adult life and most of my childhood. I've watched all those races that Jensen Button ran. I think I've watched pretty much every single Formula One race since I was a young child. And I've heard a lot of people say Jensen Button's a really smooth driver. 
I've never seen that. I'm a professional driver. I've never watched Jensen Button driving and go, oh, yeah, he looks really smooth. <laughs> I've just heard people say that he's smooth. And I'm sure if I, same example, if I saw him driving a car, a Formula One car that was painted in a blank color and you couldn't see who it was or what the car was versus someone else who was, who was also good doing a similar kind of lap time, I don't think I would look at that and go, oh, yeah, that one's really smooth. It's it's only when you see extremes that generally have a reason behind them, like there's a, a problem with the car or something that you're going to see someone really driving obviously differently. So I'm going to bring in Rob Asher from the comments that was saying that I, I think probably the, the best drivers just push the pedal a bit harder or maybe have an extra gear <laughs> or, or sh- shift like they down. do in the racing yeah, movies. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Click down a gear and overtake. That's what they do. Uh, okay. i tell you what, we're going to end on, uh, we've got two questions and we've got a bit of time. So there's, um, there's no rush. And I want to play out with some music from 12 Gauge Outrage, who is uh, from a, a patron, Michael, but they're a very well-established band in Ireland. And I, I want you to go and check out their new EP. But we have got time for these two questions. So Mike who I am going to guess is relatively new to F1, says, Hi, Spanners and friends from the American Southwest. I don't know what towns are in the Southwest of America. Anyone good at American? Is that where Cota is? Southwest? Texas. Texas? Okay, good. Oh, so nice and hot. Okay, can you give an accurate retelling of the rivalry between Hamilton and Rosberg from the perspective of someone who was an F1 fan in 2016? Did Rosberg's championship really destroy the friendship? Nope, that had sailed by then. Uh, that Ian Hamilton had. Uh, was the Spanish Grand Prix the flashpoint or were there other noteworthy events between the two Mercedes drivers? I, I think, Catman, we could definitely do this more uh, justice over time, but it's um, it's amazing how far away that now seems because uh, Hamilton's had since the, the Verstappen rivalry, the, the Vettel rivalry, the sort of uncontested years where he had to just churned through and beat Bottas. So it feels like a long, long time ago. But at the time, extreme Mercedes domination, 2014, 2015, 2016, F1 was all about Hamilton Rosberg. Their childhood friendship in tatters very quickly after Hamilton's 2013 move to Mercedes. Yeah, it was incredible drama. And I, I really miss Rosberg for that that drama. It was incredible. So to make, make it seem even further away, a few things. So this... 2016 was the year that Verstappen was promoted to Red Bull and he won his first ever race. So that's how long ago that was. In Barcelona, yeah. Yeah. Ricardo did his first ever shoey on a podium. Gross. No one should ever. Oh, shut up. It's gross, Jono. (laughs) No, I was saying, no, no, it is gross. I do agree. I was saying, was it 2016 he did his first shoey? Yeah. I thought it was earlier than that. Yeah, no, it was 2016. We also welcomed Baku for the first time. Oh, well done, Baku. Yeah, and uh, the Liberty deal was signed in 2016. So, yeah, it was a long time ago. Yeah, and uh, and the th- the thing is that yeah, F1 was defined by those two kind of going at it. And so the the, the question from Mike is focusing in on 2016. Like the damage was was definitely done by then. 2013 was the season where it was oh. They look at this picture of them riding bicycles, shirtless together, frolicking uh, by with the water sprinklers. They're such good. This is going to be brilliant. They're such good friends. And um, and the first cracks appeared really in Hong. Uh, no, uh, Malaysia, twenty thirteen, when they they had their shiny new signing, Lewis Hamilton, and they basically didn't let Rosberg race him, and they they very clearly wanted Hamilton to get that that podium to to seal the decision that they did the right thing, bringing him in. 
and, and, and it just started to creak from there. Yeah, I think all of these friendships are great until you put, you know, your career, your millions of pounds, your reputation on the line. And all of a sudden, the people who have that cutting edge, that real drive, will then yeah. just cast their friends asunder. So, so Pete just said, I'm not sure Lewis and Nico ever got on, maybe not in F1. But didn't they have this like history of like, you know, uh, Lewis and, and Rosberg, you know, Lewis and, and Nico going to karting events together? Uh, and, yeah, they, um, they shared motorhomes and they, you know, they traveled together. They did the circuit together. Yeah, it was a, a fantastic relationship when they were in karting when when nothing was on the line. And have you ever seen them back in 2008 as, as when they were both fairly new to Formula One at the time? And they were hugging on podiums or on, they're on the same podium together in Australia. I remember that year and, and they had some great friendships. And it even spanned as late to the, the last time I ever saw the two really get along. And this is my last memory of the two ever looking like they were friends, was in Bahrain 2014. And it was yeah. the first time when those two drivers had an amazing on-track battle for the lead it and for great. the win, yeah. which Lewis ended up winning the race. And you had Nico Rosberg come after the race and fake punch Lewis, <laughs> and they had a play fight, you know, uh, in, the, in the little Parc Ferme area. And that was good. That was fun and, and lighthearted. And then after that, that was the last time we ever saw them ever look like they were friends that is worth watching that's worth going back and watching that race because okay it's wildly from memory i think that was a two stop and uh, and it was only option and prime in those days so mercedes basically kept them apart by doing alternate strategies so one then stayed on the prime and one went to the option and then on the second stop they they converged or or something like that and then it and was- Oh, go on. Do you remember the tyre strategy from Bahrain 2014? Well, uh, not the tyre strategy, but there was a late safety car which put them oh, together. Right, yeah. And then the safety car went in and the dominance showed by the fact that they just, you couldn't see the rest of the field by the second lap. That, that was it. That was the first race where we actually saw them at full speed. Because I think what Mercedes you know, tended to do was kind of go, right, well, settle down. This is the, the position now. Let's not show that we're 30 seconds better than everyone. And as much as... Verstappen's accused of sandbagging now. Mercedes definitely did it in the turbo hybrid era. They were almost embarrassed by their pace. But yeah, that was an example of them being able to fly off. And Lewis Hamilton did a, a mega chop across the front of, of Rosberg. Uh, yeah, that might have been the beginning of it, Brad, looking back. Yeah, I was just having trying to have a quick look back at their full teammate history together because they, they did cart together in the Mercedes-Benz McLaren, MBM the team was called, um, team together and they they were both successful i haven't got the exact results for their entire time together but then there was a period where they kind of broke apart and um in terms of who was doing which series mm. so rosberg was in gp2 i think a year before hamilton yeah and won it and then hamilton came in the next year and won it so they didn't really continue that rivalry so much through single seaters um so it was kind of yeah. put on hold until until that kind of and Rosberg got into F1 first didn't he with Williams yeah. I think yeah Johnny which, which was interesting actually I was just about to mention that is that Lewis Hamilton had a test with with Williams BMW in 2004 and he was he was gunned for for that drive Lewis never came into the sport until he was 22 you know mm. if you think about it that is quite old these days wow. you know knowing Max Verstappen came in at uh, I think his first test was 16 race driver 17 so uh, a big difference, but yeah, going back to what Brad said, is that their junior career was shared a lot together. Just for context, for somebody who might not know the background between these two, their dads and and Lewis and Nico used to hang out all the time. Obviously, Nico's dad, Keke Rosberg, F1 champion, and and they used to drive to races and karting races together. So it, it, they got a lot of history, and 
It's not the first time Lewis Hamilton's had a relationship sort of destroyed in uh, going into F1 and into adulthood. I remember when uh, Adrian Sutil expected him to back him up in court and Lewis didn't show up and that sort of... Uh, oh, that's a begged. drama. God, that's going back that's, some, that's isn't a it? That's drama. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry I brought that up. No, no, that's it. Well, for legal reasons, I guess I'm going to just... I'm going to brush past all of that. Uh, so 2014 was fairly amicable, uh, but you remember that was double points Abu Dhabi, double points and, and Rosberg's gearbox failed although had it not been double points Hamilton would have been already the champion by the time they they got there and then 2015 Hamilton starts really dominating on on race pace uh, Rosberg gets an almost sarcastic qualifying trophy that he see that I, I saw him I remember him being awarded with it I mean him looking at it with scorn like he'd lost the title but he gets given this qualifying trophy and then that's when you feel like the wheels start to come off and then 2016 is ferocious. 2016, blatantly, the camps have completely split. It's it's out and out war in the Mercedes garage. Speaking of the camps being split, that was actually a feature of the winter of 2015 to 2016 because five of Hamilton's engineers, oh, yeah. including his number one mechanic, swapped over from Hamilton's side to Rosberg's side. Hamilton really wasn't impressed with that. I think his words were, You'll have to buy my book in 10 years' time to find out exactly what happened. Ooh, that's not long. No, exactly. I think it was more of a psychological effect uh, for him than anything else. You know, I think anybody who gets into the engineering side of those teams is absolutely top of their game. But specifically over the winter, when you're meant to be preparing for a new season, you know, a lot of these guys are very, you know, they, they have to be everything in exactly in its place that would be a massive shift. And if, you know, Rosberg's sitting there going, great, I've just got the last couple of years champions, mechanics and people with how he works, his secrets, you know, then I can push with this. And and Lewis is taking a step back going, well, well, now I've lost everything. And you know, who's this other guy? I, I work with him, but he's not, you know, my my guy, you know, I, I think that would make a big step for him. And, and he lost the first four races. You know, that was the period where Rosberg had that streak of seven race wins. So, you know, is that was that contributing to it quite possibly? And, and Mike's second part to his question was, was the Spanish Grand Prix, and he's talking about 2016 here, which was Max Verstappen's first race for Red Bull at the time, uh, the two Mercedes teammates of Hamilton and Rosberg clashed into each other on the opening lap, opened the door for Verstappen to take his first win in, in Formula One. He said, was that the flashpoint? of the demise of their relationship or were there around the other noteworthy events between the two? And there were, and I, I can't remember if it was, was it 2015 Monaco or was it 2014 where Nico Rosberg had secured pole and Lewis to this day, you know, I'm not going to speak on Lewis's behalf, but <laughs> believes that Nico deliberately drove off the track to cause the yellow flag as many drivers have done in the past at Monaco. And that secured Rosberg's pole. And Lewis was very unhappy and it was a gradual sort of, there weren't any flashpoints or turning points, but it was a gradual sort of tension that built over the few years at Mercedes. Uh, uh, Brad, I know you've got opinions about that Monaco qualifying. Yeah, I mean, we've definitely discussed that one before because it's just not even in question. Um, it's it was the, 2014. Sim- <laughs> was that 2014, the Monaco? Oh, yep. was it? It was uh, 2014 or 15. Yeah. Well, 14, oh, I just looked it up. It's 2014. Wow, okay. So yeah. I, I had a false memory that that was 2016. I did. But- but anyway, yeah, that, that's not even in question. It's similar to the Perez Monaco thing. When you when you look at the drivers' actions, they either are not professional drivers or they deliberately did a thing, and there's no middle ground really. 
<laughs> yeah, so no, I, I think 2016 was the it was the final chapter in the in that story for sure. But I think we will have to do a full kind of race by race breakdown of 2016. I, I already have the show notes written for that show. I've just never quite got around to it. I think either me, Matt and Catman or uh, Mike Caulfield, who was working at Mercedes at the time, has already said that he, he might join us for a show as well. So Ooh, if Mike can't awesome. make it, Catman then then we'll we'll get you <laughs> oh thanks it's oh right. thanks can i be a fly on the wall please i think we'd that rather have amazing. A, we'd rather have a mercedes strategist surely but yeah yeah you, in fact let's forget one. about matt he's not here you me mike caulfield yeah. and and let's we'll do, do the 2016 breakdown all right uh final question i think this is really interesting and uh this is from a, a dutch sounding name but i don't want to make any you know assumptions but carsten de hoven i'm gonna i'm gonna just do you know what i'm gonna say from holland uh, from the Netherlands. Okay, guys, what is the reason you guys don't fancy Red Bull? Honestly wondering where it comes from. Love your show. Peace. Questions specifically aimed at Brad and, and Richard. So uh, I think, Brad, you've made no secret that you're not particularly a Red Bull fan. I, I used to be very much a, a fan of, of what Red Bull were doing. I got slightly annoyed by Vettel's dominance because we'd just suffered through the Schumacher years. I wasn't ready for another multiple German world champion yet at that point. Um, but but Red Bull were, a, you know, they were the fun, young party team. Christian Horner, wasn't he the youngest team principal ever in Formula One? I think I, I liked Christian Horner for, for a long, long time in, in F1. He's married to... The second best Spice Girl, which is amazing because they're all brilliant. Posh Spice, if you must know. We could rank them, but we'll do, we'll do that another time. Uh, but they were all brilliant. And so he's, he's charismatic. He has been in F1 a long time. It really is only 2021 where I suddenly went, what is going on? What is going on with Christian Horner? And I started disliking him as a personality in F1. And it was probably only 2021 where the team started rubbing me up the, the wrong way. So we know where me and Brad stand, but uh, Chris, where do you stand on on, on Red Bull? Oh, do you know what? <laughs> they used to be the party team. They did. You know, back in those DC wearing his Superman cape, jumping into the pool, you know, all of those amazing things. It was the motorhome with the banging music at the end of the race and everybody loved Red Bull. They were an amazing team. And then, it, as you said, it just started to spiral once they started to be, not even during the Vettel years, because they were still fun. They were still exciting back then. Maybe is it the multi-21 thing where they completely backed Vettel and just cast Mark Webber out into the cold, I, I essentially, know. at that even, point? Was even, that... even then, that, that reflected more badly on Vettel at the time than, than Red Bull themselves. Yeah. Uh, but Brad, how... Are you... Is it fair to say you've got a reputation as someone who is quite anti-Red Bull at the, at the moment? That's certainly fair um, to say at the moment. But I, for, for full background, I was a guest of Red Bull at the 2011 uh, Brazilian Grand Prix. I went to the Red Bull after party. I spent time with staff. I, I also was a, 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 as a neutral quite a fan of Red Bull as a team in the early days. And to really answer the question of why, why I've um, cultivated a dislike, um, if I could put it like that, is simply a pattern of behavior, uh, a pattern of behavior by members of the team, prominent members of the team over long periods of time, um, including, uh, but not limited to, um, 
how I don't know quite how political um, I could be. Um, certain views on certain topics, um, okay. which are problematic. Can, I, can, I, can, I posit, can I posit one from uh, on. Helmut Marco during the outbreak of the pandemic? We have four Formula One drivers and eight or 10 juniors. The idea was that we would organize a camp to mentally and physically bridge the dead time. And that would come at the ideal time for the infection to come. It literally was trying to have a, a COVID camp. Yeah, and and really, I would see that as one of the one of the lesser um, things that Marco has said or done, which are problematic. There are. I, oh, I'm going to have to. St- I can't quite say what I want to say for fear because I haven't okayed it with you before the show. <laughs> but there are other <laughs> views which are uh, which team members and Horner being one of them um, have expressed, which I don't agree with, and that adds to the season of gaslighting we got in 2021 on every possible issue the the kind of reputation assassination of hamilton yes. after silverstone that's the one i was going to bring up saying that he tried to murder verstappen that i think that's one of the ones that made me go whoa mate that we're talking about disres- dis bringing the sport into disrepute i don't understand how that was allowed and how that didn't have any further actions that's the one that stood out for me and i think at that point brad i had not yet you know at that point i was not yet feeling kind of how i ended up feeling at the end of the season there was also false equivocation of racist abuse that hamilton was getting with max verstappen having people who didn't like him for right. completely unrelated reasons that horner came out with um, that that certainly rubbed a few people up the wrong way uh, including me when i heard him say that and and then we can go on to the way they the way they handled themselves at the final round of 2021. I mean, this this was just after Verstappen constantly being a complete terrorist on track all season and getting away with it. You've got um, Brazil 2021, where they just completely get away with something which is a clear penalty. Brake testing at Jeddah, which is a disqualification all day long. And again, mm-hmm. just getting away with it. Then cost cap breach and getting away with it um, in you know a cost cap breach in a season which was finely balanced. And that they got handed the championship um, unfairly at the end. Anyway, it's just thing after thing after yeah. thing added to a general attitude that I just don't like. What? So I think Do you know that's what? probably. I asked. I, I asked. I passed on the question from Carsten, different Carsten, by the way. And the 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 counter to that, of course, is that they were gunning for their driver and they were doing what was best for their team and and playing the referee is is hardly new. I'm sure Charlie Whiting the ex-race you know, director, had as much pressure from teams as Michael Massey had, but it seems like Michael Massey crumbled and seemed very much to be swayed by that very forceful playing of the of the referee. It was like the equivalent of uh, 10 Man United players, you know, crowding the referee and the referee getting overwhelmed and going, oh man, I'm at Old Trafford. I'd, okay, fair enough, fair enough. I don't, I don't, I don't want to look stupid here. Um, so we, I mean, the question was asked and that is our personal views. Uh, I mean, Catman, can you can you kind of soften that a bit? Because here, here's how I feel. I feel <laughs> like the way the Red Bull management have have gone about things, in the way that Brad has described, has actually done harm to Max Verstappen's reputation as well. If you put Verstappen in a Mercedes McLaren type environment, I don't think he'd have attracted as much kind of uh, well uh, hate or, or anti fanness than than he has. Absolutely, and I can I can give you two softeners here. The first one is that they were just defending their driver, sure, their team sure. employee against accusations and things that were happening, which 
you may or may not agree with, but they certainly back their man to the hilt. Um, which I say, I, I'm on the same camp as you. I, I don't agree with what they did. I don't like the way they went about it. However, the other softener is that the top brass at that team, so you, you got your three, I don't believe that they speak for the rest of the team employees. I know that a lot of good Red Bull guys are there to compete fairly and compete well and are very, very nice people. We've had a couple on the podcast, for example. <laughs> yes. And I don't, uh, you know, they're, they're fantastic people. And sure, they might cheat at my quizzes, but I don't think <laughs> that um, they go out of their way to do it in the sport. So no, no, I no, think no, it's no. unfortunately, as you said, uh, a couple of bad apples spoiling the batch. No. Um, so w- with Horner, it was so, it was such a gear change in 2021. You could say it's the pressure of competition. I, I wonder as well how much pressure there was from above on Christian Horner. So I reckon I, I, it feels like he was under a lot of pressure. He really pushed hard. His interviews with Sky were like really like, you know, and it's things like that as well. You know, the boycotting of Sky because Ted Kravitz dared to say that Lewis Hamilton was, yeah. was robbed of, of the championship. Uh, it feels like Horner would, would, that's not his natural state in 2021. And if 2021 had not happened, I think we'd still... He'd still be more generally liked, if that makes if yeah. that makes sense. Uh, Jono? I was just going to agree with you. And, and Christian was at a point where I think he was a lot of people's favorite yes. team manager yeah. or team principal, if I'm not mistaken, as even during the dominant phases of Sebastian Vettel. So the, the pressure is something that's interesting <laughs> that I never thought about. And, and 2021 was such a tense year as well because, like you mentioned, they hadn't won anything since 2013, so it was almost a 10-year gap. And you're thinking, well, is Christian's job at risk? Mm -hmm. What's going on here? Adrian Newey, what's happened to him? Is he getting back involved with the team? So that sort of changed a lot and everything there. But uh, for Red Bull, it was more like to add to your to the point you guys said, and you know, to add to the softening of what Catman said. My conclusion is, I miss 2021. Can we bring that back again? Yeah, Can we relive that season somehow? Because that, to me, is something that it, it's not. It's nothing to do with the domination. It's nothing to do with anything they've done. But it's to do with with what they're saying and the culture. And and there's one more thing I want to add. It was going back just a little bit more, which was something you mentioned about. It's not particularly Verstappen that that people don't like or anything like that. But it's people create your culture. And if Verstappen comes in and Horner's acting a certain way and Helmut Marco talks this way, they all contribute to each other and they all contribute to sort of the culture they brought to to how people view that team at the moment. So, um, I mean, look at Lewis Hamilton I, and, and not to compare the two. These are the two rivalry, rivals we try to compare. He's been a very fair <laughs> person. He tries to be as fair as possible. Yeah. He's, he, to he a doesn't fault. come across the way he does in media and, it, and he has a different reputation for it. Mm. Sort of waffling there a little bit, but you get no, my point. Look, uh, and I think Brad and I also have to accept that as sports fans in 2021, we were cheering for Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton, and that's going to kind of influence that. But I do feel like if I was a Verstappen fan, I don't think that Mercedes did the same kind of things that would make you go, oh, rabble, rabble, rabble. Uh, Catman, you were shaking your head. You're about to slam me down. Oh, no, I was just saying, John, I was saying, let's bring back 2021. No, <laughs> I, even before Abu Dhabi, I hated 2021. It had all what? that, pot- it, yeah, it had all the potential <laughs> of two different teams uh, fighting for the title. The problem was, is that the racing it was wasn't good. terrible. It was terrible. 
because yes. you didn't you couldn't have boundaries which you could respect so you you couldn't fight fairly bring back 2014 that race we were talking about earlier on the Bahrain duel in the desert they fought hard but they fought fair yeah that was what it was yeah. and the problem was is that the FIA or the governing body did not clamp down on poor fighting which has led to to be fair to us, has given us plenty of podcasts where we can debate the <laughs> yeah. rules of racing. So no, and know, this is fine. it. I, I, I've said like the the 2021, the racing wasn't good. It all just ended in somebody getting shoved off track, and the FIA never penalised it. The stewards never penalised it, and so that was not on Verstappen because why wouldn't you? If you're allowed to drive aggressively like that, why wouldn't you do that? And in fact, the thing I said after 2021 was every driver now needs to drive like Verstappen unless they change those rules. Exactly. You, we were begging for halfway through the season for Hamilton to yeah. shove Verstappen off and go, right, I've had enough of and, this. Yeah. And, you know, we did it before uh, with Rosberg as well, because Hamilton used to do that, you know, not quite as bad, but he used to do the the, the manoeuvring Rosberg off the track. <laughs> and we used to say, like, to, you know, as Hamilton fans even we were saying, Rosberg, just, we, we want him to hold his ground. We want to see what happens if he holds his ground and just Hamilton drives into him. Because that would have been Hamilton's fault because, you know, or you would have hoped so. Although the new rules now seem to say that you're kind of allowed to do that. So that was interesting. And as Mark Greenow points out, I am looking forward to my my inbox tomorrow morning. Uh, okay, so feedback at mistapex.net. These are all opinions. We're all passionate fans. 2021 all had our, we had our hearts, you know, in our mouths for nearly all of that season. So you can't deny that it wasn't exciting. It was, of course, incredibly divisive and and you know we're on one side of the echo chamber so perhaps people really email us and go no actually mercedes are uh, evil and toto toto wolf and his anti-desk agenda need reining in bose the uh earphone manufacturer do not like him <laughs> because he smashed up so many pairs of them okay they do because we all know the name of the ear- earphones don't we that's true Pete in the Slack just said, I think respect was missing going back to 2021 between the two teams. And I can I just point out a quick funny anecdote. I think that uh, that was one of the good parts about it because it brought sort of people against each other, but it also brought the sport together, you know, controversy and people competing. Yeah. I, I've commentated once, this is a true story, I've commentated on a 60-year-old plus racing series before and the post-race interviews were so nice I was sitting there going like, are you serious? Like, come on, can you guys like start blasting off each other a little bit? Yeah. You wouldn't definitely wouldn't want to get to the point where you go, hey, Red Bull, you shouldn't compete or care. So, you know, that is part and parcel of a a professional sport. I I feel like doing a fluff topic so that we're not ending it on such an emotional point, (laughs) but we have reached the natural end point. So I am just going to say, go and follow our panel at CatmanF1 on Twitter Go and follow Brad. He's got a YouTube channel. I forget, Brad. Are you still being young and trendy? So it's Brad, or is it Bradley Philpot? Yeah, so all my social media really nowadays is Brad Philpot. Ah, uh, you're going for um, Brad. Because it shaves off like three years oh, from yeah. my, my actual age. But yeah, I'm doing, <laughs> uh, I'm doing some karting at the moment. I just um, published a video a few days ago about my experience of karting in a new series in the UK, Low Cost Kart Championship, which... I'm I'm doing with Alex Van Jean at the next round, and I believe you're also coming to do a test in those same carts. I'm terrified. I'm terrified. I'm used to rental carts with their nice, lovely bumpers all the way around. A proper, like, open, exposed wheel car is uh, is somewhat daunting. This will definitely be the closest thing to a single seater. I think you'll have driven um, <laughs> in, you know, in anger. So yeah, yeah, so go and check out my YouTube channel, Brad Philpot, if you'd like to see that series. Yeah, and that's the Saturday that I'm doing that. The Saturday before Monza, so. I I 
I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm, you know, there's a 50-50 chance I'll die. So uh, Matt will be with you for the Monza Grand Prix. Uh, Jonathan Simon, we, you are Johnny S8 on Twitter. Yes, but, but the S is an ESS. And it's there's and the eight is the actual numeric eight. Uh, let's not talk about that again. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Threads. Yeah, uh, is, is it we're called we're Twitter anymore? It's called X, X now. Yeah, X, X yeah, Twitter. X. Yeah, we're good. We're yeah, good. Well, the same I mean, things. You could rebrand the Earth to Smudgebo, and it's still Earth. That's how we think about <laughs> it. Uh, you can you could give me a funny nickname, uh, and I'm still Richard. But if you want to follow me at Spanners Ready on all the stuff, and uh, follow Mr Apex on TikTok. Instagram and YouTube. You YouTube. Subscribe to the YouTube. We're putting up YouTube shorts because I saw my kids were addicted to it. So I thought that I would put some YouTube shorts up and try and jump onto their reel. So I'm basically going to ruin their fun on YouTube shorts by having dad pop up on it. Does that just mean you're going to be standing on a video YouTube in your shorts? Yeah, I think I'm pretty sure that's how it works, sure. Batman. And if you've got yeah. this far into all of that uh, mailbag and debate, you might want to consider supporting us to keep this going. Patreon.com forward slash missed apex now then uh, one of our patrons michael is part of a fantastic heavy metal band called 12 gauge outrage and i'd like to play you a couple of minutes of a song from their latest ep so get ready to experience the electrifying energy of 12 gauge outrage a talented metal band hailing from county rexford formed in wexford catman did we decide county wexford Formed in 2012, the band has built a dedicated following of on the uh, the modern metal scene. These are a proper gigging band. If you want to support local music and musicians that are actually out there grinding week in, week out in the pubs and clubs, then go out and check out their album. I'll put a link in the show notes. But this is a song called... Oh, my son picked it out and did the video for this, by the way. But I hope you enjoy it. It's super heavy. And it's super loud. I'm warning you, it's heavy metal. Bye. Work hard, be kind, have fun. EP is called Siren and it's out now 12 gauge outrage
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Acast anbefaler. Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider træt af alle de der podcast, og forklarer mig nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lytte til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov og spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmangel.